Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene. This is Noel T. Manning II. You're listening to WGWG. You can find us, WGWG.org. Gardner Webb at University Radio. We talk movies each week right here on Cinema Scene. We have uh, filmmakers. We do movie reviews. We have special guests and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, this week, uh, very happy to have a longtime film critic, uh, Lawrence Topman, uh, Charlotte Observer, um, and, and other places as well. Lawrence, how are you, buddy? Good morning or afternoon, as the case may be. Uh, my day has just begun because I'm working until midnight. So Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today about movies. Uh, glad to. I don't need much prompting to do that. In fact, I'm hard to stop, so you should probably have a little horn or something that beeps if I start to run on. I'll see what I can find uh, maybe in my desk. What if I just do something like, there we go. Well, <laughs> That'll be fine. I'll shorten it up immediately. <laughs> well, you, um, you've been with the Charlotte Observer how many years? Um, I've been here almost 37 years. It'll be 37 years this winter, and 29 of those as writing about movies. I started that part of my job in 1987. Wow. wow. I do other stuff now. I mean, right. I cover theater and dance and classical music and jazz, but um, I don't. And so I guess I would say movies is maybe about 40% of what right. I do now. Right, uh, But I've done that unbrokenly, if there is such a word, since 1987. Wow, wow. Now, um, and your love for film goes much uh, beyond that time period. Talk about how you started uh, developing um, a, a taste for, for looking at film more than just entertainment value. Well, I think that happened for me in college because... I came from a very small farm town in New Jersey. Uh, yes, there are such things. And it had no theater, and the next city over had a single-screen theater, which, of course, played whatever the big Hollywood hits were. So I went through high school not knowing much about anything. And when I got to college and started to think about culture in generally a little bit differently, I watched movies that the Film Society at the college was putting on. Okay. I started to look at things that were available in 16 millimeter because a guy in my dorm, believe it or not, had a projector. Wow, okay. And, and so I, was, I became self-taught. I thought, oh, Japanese people make movies. Who knew? Italian people. So yeah, yeah. I, I followed them around. Now, now uh, it, and so that was in college. At, at that point, did you start realizing the depth that this is, there's really art to this, and it's not just uh, the popcorn flicks that so many people go to theaters to see? Well, I think what made it interesting for me was that the exported films that we receive in the United States are usually the best of any country. That's not to say that they're not making dumb comedies and simple romances and all the things that Hollywood makes, but those don't cross the ocean. And so we tend to see heavier dramas, thoughtful films, historical pieces, and they send us the best of what they have. In a way, it's a false vision of Europe or Asia. We see the cream and not all of the sour milk. So I did start to realize how much stuff was out there, and by chance I was seeing the best Swedish movies, not the gunk that they would throw at their audiences just to kill time. Right, right. Now, did you were you writing any reviews in college, or was it just you getting that taste for, wow, there, there, there's something here? Uh, I was writing unreadable, snooty, think-I-know-everything <laughs> reviews um, <Okay. laughs> as, as a punishment to myself. Uh, when, if you were one of the editors of the college newspaper, this was at, at Duke, the Chronicle would give you a bound edition of every day's paper for your senior year if wow. you were one of the top three editors. And I read it every so often to remind myself how bad my film criticism was. <laughs> um, it's all about plot. It's all about narrative. 
it doesn't, for the most part, look below the surface at what the subtext of the movie is or the agenda of the movie maker. It's me mainly reciting facts. Uh, but as Monty Python said, I got better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so do you remember that first movie review that you did uh, that you actually wrote? Um, well, the reason I was thinking of Monty Python was I think the first movie review that I wrote was of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> which came out in 75. Yeah. It, was, it was my senior year, and I started to write then. And I loved Monty Python, and I actually watched it twice in succession, which I've only done four or five times in my life. With okay. Movie. And uh, wildly and insanely praised everything about it, which is probably woefully inaccurate, but thought, okay, I've got to write about this stuff. It really inspires me. And yeah. it did. Now, you, you talk about uh, you've only seen a few, few films you know, kind of back-to-back. What is it that will will make you want to do that? I mean, what is it about a film that will bring you bring you back to it immediately to say, okay, I want to watch that again? Well, it's difficult now in the situation that I'm in professionally because, of course, I go to advanced screenings and they are offered once. Right, you go on a right. Tuesday or Wednesday night; they're shown at seven or seven thirty, uh, and then you write about them. So even if you wanted to see them immediately again, you can't. Um, Mostly, it's a film where I'm intrigued by details, and I've already watched for plot, and now I'm watching again to see how the director and the writer did their jobs. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I saw The Usual Suspects uh, as a civilian, as my military father would say. I wasn't working. And I immediately thought, okay, wait a minute. That's really cool. But did you play fair? I want to go back and watch that now and check all the little details. Now, you said this guy was here. Was he really there? And I watched it immediately, and it was terrific. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt the same way about Shutter Island, the Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, I watched it, and as your listeners may know, I won't give it away. It has a number of twists, including a kind of a multiple twist ending. And I watched it a second time right afterwards, not because I didn't, I knew the plot now and who the characters were, but to see if the director and writer had really put together a seamless package. So that's usually why I see a film a second time if I can. It's to kind of do a reality check on the movie and say, okay, I think this was great. Let's see how well you really did your job. Right, right. Well, was it just a gimmick or was there something much more there? Yeah. Yeah. And and in both of those cases, in Usual Suspects, it's just an extraordinarily well-crafted suspense film. Right. In Shutter Island, a lot of the emotional content that's in there came through more the second time when I wasn't trying to figure out who's this character and who, is this guy real or is he not. And both of those films do have kind of a, a, a twist or a payoff. Um, are those the kind of films that you feel drawn to for the entertainment? I mean, for... For, for me, Lawrence Topman, the guy who wants to enjoy a film, rather than Lawrence Topman, the guy who's got to see a film because he's got to write about it. Does that make sense? It does. And the thing I look for most in a movie is that it take me somewhere I haven't been. Now, that can be a twist ending. Okay. Or if it's a film based on a work I'm familiar with, uh, one of my, I was writing about Shakespeare recently, and one of my favorite Shakespearean films is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Okay. Hamlet's not going to end with Hamlet living and running around and writing a musical comedy. <laughs> it's, well, right. I, suppose, yeah. I would want to, I'd like to see that film, but it's not very accurate. So <laughs> right. we're going to assume that Hamlet and everybody else pretty much is dead. Right. So you can't have a twist ending, but you can enlighten me about the characters. You can show me by the way you present the material to me. Uh, that I should think about them differently. 
So Hamlet would take me somewhere I hadn't been if it's really well done, but not by just flip-flopping the end. I want a movie that at the end of it, I cannot say, you know, I could have left after 10 minutes and written the rest of that. And so often, if you think of it, that is exactly what we get. We know when the girlfriend's going to feel betrayed and walk out. We know when the superhero is going to be in jeopardy and we know who's going to save him. Those kinds of things are so stock now that that's not interesting. It's only interesting to me if at some point in the movie I go, wow, I didn't think about that that way, or I didn't see that coming. Uh, you know, it really is... So that, those are the movies I go see for fun when I'm not working. Gotcha. And, and you're pretty much, anytime you go into the movie, so many times you are working, you're not, you're not going just uh, to go choose to, to watch it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to take enjoyment out of it, absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah, no yeah, reason. yeah. But, but I'm, I'm looking at it with slightly different eyes. You've been doing this for so long now. Um, do you find it more difficult, or do you find it um, easier to uh, enjoy films? Uh, and not necessarily appreciate, but to enjoy them. Well, what I have started to do, I think, as a writer and also just as a watcher, is I've started to look for things that are a little bit outside the obvious this is put together well, or so-and-so is giving a good performance, especially in a movie where I'm not getting much else out of it. I'll start to think, well, what's the photography like? What's the music like? Is the editing effective? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I enjoy movie going more than I used to because I'm looking deeper and longer at each film. I mean, even a dumb action film can have a really amazing score where it could have wonderful cutting. Um, On the other hand, I'm tired of repetition uh, so that however good the next 27 Avengers movies will be, I suspect that they have already said what they're going to say about the Avengers, and now it's interchangeable people blowing up. Uh, That said, I can be surprised. All three of the Captain America movies have been interesting to me. Uh, But you have to take a character or a story somewhere it hasn't been, and then it is enjoyable. So I, I can still enjoy movies as much as ever, maybe even a little bit more because I look harder. But when they start to repeat a cycle, my brain wants to shut down. Right, right. Well, we are on the phone with Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer, a longtime film critic and entertainment uh, writer uh, as well. We're talking movies right here on Cinema Scene, WGWG.org. Uh, I agree with you. I think Captain America, all three of those films, they, they were able to say something different about the character, but also a different, a different about... Um, the interactions around them, the subject matter. Um, you know, earlier this week, somebody was asking me what was my one of my favorite films of the summer, and I thought this has been kind of a a different kind of summer. Uh, they said, "Well, let's, okay, let's talk. Let's talk your comic book superhero films." I said, "Well, I said really, um, of the ones I've seen, I've got to go back to the preseason and talk about Captain America: Civil War because I thought mm-hmm. it, it it did a lot. There was a lot of character arc that if you look at those characters throughout Marvel." There was something that's continuing to develop with those particular characters on screen. Well, and I think you can do that over a series of films. Certainly the X-Men have done it. But I think you also get into a bind of, all right, we have to give the audience something new. So here's three other X-Men you've never seen before, and we're going to start to move away from the ones that we've already talked about. Um, 
also, remember, in comic book movies, there's an infinite number of alternate universes. Exactly, exactly. So people who are died are not dead, and people that we thought were gone come back, and now they're older versions of themselves, and now they're younger versions of themselves. (laughs) It's hard to emotionally get invested in a film like that. And for me, when you're emotionally invested in someone, as I was saying, the story of the Winter Soldier for Captain America, something resonates more with me. If it's just oh, we kill people and they come back, and we kill more people and they come back, then it's a pretty dull cycle because you can't really get attached to anybody. The possibility that they'll be lost is nil. They won't be lost. Right, right. Well, you know, you mentioned something earlier that that as you look at films now, it's not just, you know, about the character or about the story. There's so much more, And, and that's what filmmaking is. It really is. You look at the set design, you look at... The special effects, as we've continued to see that that advance, the music, I um, mean, the score. Um, there, there's so much, so much there um, that really does make the whole package for a film. And also, I think remembering that you know what is the director's intent, and if the director's intent is to show a you know a, a goofball comedy that, sure, it, critically it might be really horrible. But is it playing to the audience is going after? I think that's something we kind of got to ask ourselves as well. Absolutely. And you can have a perfectly enjoyable, idiotic comedy. The Hangover is a good example, the yes. first one. Second and third are not that good. But the first one was, just put your brain back in the easy chair, so to speak, to mix a metaphor very badly, and just relax <laughs> and think... I don't really need to worry about, does this have social comment? I'm not interested in, do I have emotional involvement with these people? It's just goofy nonsense. And goofy nonsense is fine. Sometimes I eat a big bowl of banana pudding without worrying about whether or not it has nutritional value (laughs) or fits into my diet for the day or will help help me in any way. I just like it and I'm shoving it down. That's perfectly fine because you can make those well or badly as well. The first hangover is paced well, the characters are amusing, the second and third are not. So even within that little world, there's a clear difference between good and bad. Every world has potentially has good in it or bad in it. It's not that I rate them. Someone once said to me, I I knew a film critic, I'll start over, I knew a film critic in the 1970s in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Daily News whose favorite comment was, if he didn't like a movie, well, you know, it's not Gone with the Wind, or it's not Casablanca, or if it was a musical, it's not whatever his favorite musical was. I don't know, The Bandwagon. And I thought, dude, are you really going around measuring every movie you see against the absolute best in the field? Well, how would you like anything? Because they're all not going to be those things. Yeah, right, right. And his, he didn't have relative standards, and he didn't have an idea that if you saw a goofy comedy, you should only measure it against other goofy comedies. Yes, yes. And you need to, because that is what your audience wants to know. I saw The Hangover and thought it was funny. Right. Is Hangover 2 as funny? No, it's not, and here's why. But that they don't want to hear that you compared it to Some Like It Hot from 1960. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and as we're, you know, right now we're in this, state of mind in Hollywood that they're looking for the next comic book film. And, um, and that's the, that's the thing that, you know, you've, you've got them all the way mapped out through like the next eight to 10 years, it seems. And, uh, at some point, are we going to be burned out on that? Um, or are we going to, you know, continue to go check them out? I mean, what, what's your thought on that as we're seeing, you know, this summer we've had some hits and misses actually this year, we've had hits and misses on these comic book superhero, supervillain films. Well, two things, I think. One, the audience is endlessly renewing 
because it's a young audience that's supposed to be, I think, about 16 to about 27 or 8. So that period of people will watch movies, and then there will always be 16-year-olds coming behind them who have discovered comic books and are equally excited. There's really very little correlation between how good a film is and whether or not it will make money. Uh, Suicide Squad is a really dull comic book adaptation. It's poorly edited. It's poorly written. The characters are interesting for a while, and then the movie stops making them so. It's dark and murky visually, and I don't mean dark psychologically. I mean dark and grainy and ugly to look at. And yet it had an enormous opening. So there's really very little relation between whether a film is good and whether people who don't know whether a film is good or not will buy a ticket to it. Uh, Same with Batman v Superman. Right. Uh, Eventually word got around that it wasn't very good, but nobody waited to find out. They all rushed the first two weeks and bought tickets, and of course it made a ton of money. Suicide Squad word will get around also that it's not very good, but the people don't care. They just want to see that sort of film, and the quality with which it's made doesn't matter very much. So no, I don't think there will be any shortage of these. There's an enormous universe of comic books to adapt. And yeah, if they find out that Aquaman isn't very interesting, they won't make more Aquaman, but they'll just make other things instead from the Justice League. So I think there's a real continuous target audience. There are always going to be people in high school and college who think this is generically cool and who don't most of the time care whether it's well-made or not. Right, gotcha. Well, you know, last last year, uh, Fantastic Four, I think it was last year, Fantastic Four came out, and it just it just you know ran into the same fate as like, well, we were hoping to do three more films, but maybe we're going to wait and and uh, and and think about this some more. Well, but even the Fantastic Four, which has a terrible checkered history, many bad attempts to make the Fantastic Four have occurred over the years. Even that did okay on its first weekend, and then word swiftly got out that it was a mess. The problem is, too, that had sort of the the stench of death about it because of other Fantastic Fours down through the ages. Um, but I think once you have a successful Thor, you're going to get at minimum three more Thors. Right, right, right. And, and it, once you have a successful Avengers, you're going to have at minimum four probably more Avengers. Yeah, and, and really, you know, when I looked at Captain America's Civil War, in many ways it was Avengers 2.1. Um, and yeah, absolutely, in that it divided the people and brought them in for supporting roles, no question. Um, you know, the Spider-Man series is being rebooted after, what, 10 years? Yeah, yeah, it used yeah. To be, it used to be that a reboot was 20 to 25 years. And uh, a friend of mine in the business said to me, a 14-year-old kid today who was four when the other Spider-Man came out wants to see his own Spider-Man. You know, that, and that makes sense, you know, when you think of it in, in that context. Um, you know, I'm no longer 27, so, yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense when you look at it that way. Sure but does. for him, the turnover can be 10 or 11 years. It doesn't need to be a generation. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And, and I'll have to say the introduction of, uh, of Spider-Man, Peter Parker's character uh, in Civil War, it worked for me. It was very cleverly done. You know, it and really think, worked I, for me. And, and I think the, the new portrayal of him will be good. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I think but on the other good. hand, I just have the other one still pretty fresh in yeah, my Yeah, 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 I know, I know. It's, it's hard to, well, this is the, the really, in, it's the third 
really the third installment. I mean, I think back to, you know, Tobey Maguire. And right. it, to me, that doesn't seem that long ago. But, of course, I'm, I'm not that uh, 14-year-old kid. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, we're, we are on the phone with Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer right here on Cinema Scene, Gardner Webb University Radio, talking about movies. Uh, we talked earlier about, about formula and about kind of that recycled storyline. And we do see that so much in film. And, um, and you and I both have, have seen so many films over the years. It's hard not to watch something and think back to something you've seen before that is very similar to a, to a film. And so when uh, you, you mentioned earlier, when you find something that is a different take on it or finds a way to do it a little different, uh, that, that is where success comes about. But, but we are creatures of habit. And I think the audiences really in many ways want to go see some kind of formula because they want to know in the romantic comedy, yeah, the guy's going to get the girl no matter what kind of struggles they go through. Yes, that's true. Although if you think back over time, the one, the romances that you remember best, no, I'm not kidding, are the ones where the guy didn't get the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Titanic, he doesn't get the girl. That's still <laughs> the highest grossing film of all right. time after Avatar. Right, right. Uh, Casablanca doesn't get yeah, the girl. Yeah, I could name you many, many great, great movies that people love and remember because of the emotion. Gone with the Wind doesn't get the girl. Right. Or he gets her and then doesn't want her. Yeah. The, the emotional poignance there is what makes that film memorable. Right. Not the fact that Julia Roberts and Boyfriend of the Week went off in a car happily together. Right. Uh, right. So for me, that's not as interesting as if you put... And you can have a romantic comedy where someone does get the girl. That's lovely. But don't do it according to the textbook that says they have to meet cute on page 20 of the script. And right. on page 40, you get to meet her sassy girlfriend. Right. And on page 60, this happens. And on page 80, she finds out that you used to date her sassy girlfriend, but you never told her, and she feels betrayed, and she breaks <laughs> up with you. Yeah. The, those yeah. things are just little clockwork machines. Right. You, you know... I'm not a big fan of romantic comedy, but I think uh, Sleepless in Seattle is beautifully made. It's just not my thing. But it's because it doesn't follow that template. And for me, if you get away from that, you can make a wonderful romantic comedy. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to give it a very favorable review. Those aren't always the same thing. And that can be done, but do it in a little bit fresher way. I'll tell you, Noel, this surprised me, but I read a piece of research not long ago that said, Audiences prefer more of the plot in a trailer than less. Mm-hmm. When they were shown alternate trailers for films and asked which was the more successful and the one that made them want to see it, the more enticing one, in each case, the audience voted for the one that gave away more of the movie. Interesting. Just Interesting. for the reason you just said. Yeah. They wanted to know, okay, so the hero will end happily and he will get a girl and the bad guys will get turned in. Okay, I want to see that. They don't want uncertainty, and they don't want to be challenged. They want to go in there to take the same ride they did before. Right. For them, it's like they went to an amusement park and said, oh, my favorite roller coaster. Right. They don't want the roller coaster to go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just want to go on the same roller yeah. coaster. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned romantic comedy is not typically the thing that you are going to go spend the money to go see, but you, you can still find enjoyment and, and artistic value in that. You've also talked about other films that that you appreciate um, stylistically and, and also from a story standpoint. What are things that, when you get that screening invite, 
what are the kinds of films that you would prefer? Wow, I really wish I didn't have to go to that. I think we've all got baggage. There's always certain films or certain actors or directors that maybe aren't our favorites, but we still you know, will go and kind of overlook that and take that baggage in with us and try to check it at the door. What, what fits that category for you? Well, the only category I, I absolutely refuse to go see is extremely violent horror. Okay. Uh, I just don't even screen those. I, because I'm doing other things here, it's no hardship to us if I blow off a screening of something that looks to me like torture porn. Um, right, right. Now, I will go and see a horror film that may be bloody, uh, such as Green Room, which I thought was very well made about the musicians trapped in a skinhead bar trying to get out. I thought that was very well put together. Right. But if I am in, expected to enjoy the misery of other people, to be entertained by it, amused by it, or keyed up by it, then essentially I want to vomit directly into the filmmaker's face. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And as he's not there, um, I just usually <laughs> right. skip those. Yeah, okay. Ro- Romantic comedies don't do anything for me personally, but they make up such an enormous portion of what is currently available in theaters that I go to them when I can if it looks like they have some quality. Um, I'm not enormously interested in historical epics and period pieces because I was a history major in, in college, and I spent a lot of my time going, wait a minute, that piece of music hadn't even been written yet. Well, how could they be listening to it? It didn't exist. What the heck? Or, look at you idiots. You're walking around in 18th century clothing, but really it's the 17th century. Right, Duh. Right, right, right. So I don't want to be that guy. Um, and, and so often historical epics are not about the characters. They're about the costumes and whether you got the weapons right and what somebody's hat looks like. Right. Um, so that's not a genre I'm fond of. My favorite genre is animation. If I were to okay. go with only one, well, I was going to say drama, but that's so big and vague, it has too many branches. But um, animation maybe is what I would take to a deserted island. Um, love animation, and the, after drama, the largest category of films that I own in my personal collection are animated films. Okay, well, you know, 2016 has been a pretty uh, interesting year for animation. You know, Zootopia, a really uh, interesting surprise to a lot of people um, back in the oh, early me, part me of the too. year. Me too. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, me too. Um, and, and then Finding Dory had success, Secret Life of Pets. We've had you know, incredibly successful animation um, as far as at the box office, but also uh, critically, uh, those three films, uh, you know, pretty decent reviews. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It used to be just that the very biggest studios produced animation. Disney would produce some animation. Pixar within Disney or even before Disney owned them would produce some. And somebody like Warner Animation would produce something. But if you look now, you can find all kinds of things from Japanese animation to Cuban animation. And these movies all, you know, you have to look for them and often you have to drive to Charlotte to get them. But I've seen G-Kids, for example, which puts out animated films. They did an animated version of The Prophet last year, uh, which was really beautiful to look at. Those little companies are putting out animation because you don't have to pay huge salaries to actors. You don't have enormous production costs once you've gotten the drawing part done. And so those things are doing very well in small ways. You do have the blockbusters, and Zootopia is on my top ten list for the year so far. But you also have these small animators coming out producing things uh, that often get Oscar nominations. Um, 
those are the ways that they get found is is by getting a nomination for something and people search them out. Right, right. So, yeah, it's a rich, rich time right now for animation. It really is. You know, at the box office, um, this has been a down year uh, this summer, a down year uh, for summer. You know, of course, you're going to take in um, Suicide Squad, which will bump it up a bit. But for the most part, this summer has been kind of down at the box office um, overall. But um, there, there's, and, and I don't know if it's because there's increased competition, people wanting to watch movies on their phone, or or what. Um, what do you think? Um, I, I think theater is always going to have a place. Uh, people are always going to want to go to the theater. But uh, you look in foreign countries, and they go to the theaters for the spectacles uh, because they're looking for uh, for the 3D films do incredibly well, uh, a lot better overseas than they do here in many ways. Um, what is it that you think is going to continue to bring people to theaters and, uh, and, and you in particular? Well, I think that what's going to bring people to theaters are things that are physically impossible to see on your home entertainment system. Okay. Uh, quality 3D, maybe at least now, being one of those things, although that may change. And second, things that are so large physically that you need that earth-shaking sound system where the room is vibrating. Right. I also think people are going to want to get out for things that are getting buzz on social media and that are being seen as must-see right. and see them with other people. Okay. Um, and there's a sense of, with Suicide Squad, which had an enormous opening, there was a sense of must go to the theater to be with others to see right. Suicide Squad. Can't wait. I don't even want to wait a month or six weeks. Yeah. So there's that kind of buzz type thing that you have to see. Um, I think it's also, this is funny, smaller films also have their place in theaters for this reason. If they are subtitled, that is, if they're foreign, it's often rather difficult to watch subtitled films on your computer. The subtitles tend to be very small, and if you watch them on your phone, they're almost invisible. Right, right. So that needs to be seen in a place where they are substantial, or on at least a good-sized home entertainment system. So there there are small movies that profit by being seen in theaters as well. Right. But I think what you're going to lose is sort of the middle ground of film, which is this is a cute romantic comedy that it doesn't really matter what format it has to be seen in. It's always going to make the same effect. And I would assume you'll actually perhaps start to see less of those, fewer of those films in the future. In theaters. Right, right, right. In theaters, yeah, exactly. Um, You know, you look at the studios like your Amazon and your Netflix, and they really started producing some quality material um, for, for really, I mean, series as well as films. Are we going to see more of that? Um, because those are not being screened in the theaters. Well, I think you're going to see that for series because I think the idea there is not one-time use. It's more and more repeated use. Amazon doesn't want you to come and watch an Amazon film and then lose interest in Amazon for a while. It wants you to be a regular visitor to Amazon. So it's easier to do that with a series that's going to hook you and get you watching episode after episode at whatever time you come to look at it. And therefore, there's a benefit to them in repeated viewing. So I don't know that they'll get too much into the film industry as strongly as that, but I think they'll produce a ton of series, which the idea... uh, theoretically at least, is to instill repeated viewing. Right, right. Well, our guest today on Cinema Scene, Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today talking about movies. One final question, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. Um, for, for budding film critics, for those that are just kind of getting into beyond uh, eating the popcorn and checking your brain at the door, 
kind of movies. What are some things you would recommend to them as they are thinking about how to evaluate and, and critically analyze film? I guess I would say three things. First, ask yourself if the film hits its target. That is to say, does it accomplish what it's set out to do? And don't worry too much about is it highbrow, is it lowbrow, uh, is it noble, is it lasting, will it be a movie for the ages? Just say, did it hit the target at which it aimed? And, concurrently, was that target worth shooting at? Was it a film that there was some point to making, even if it's purely for silly entertainment value? That's the first thing. The second thing for me is, every movie is in its own universe. It can be in the one you and I live in. It can be set on Venus. It can be set in the 14th century. And every movie has rules. It sets up rules within which it's played. If we're watching a movie set on Neptune and the rules are that you can't go outside for more than 10 seconds or your head explodes, that's one of the rules. You have to follow it. So does the movie exist convincingly and accurately within the universe that it sets up for itself? So often I see bad writing where people cheat. They write uh, a dilemma, and they realize they can't write their way out of it, so they change the rules, so to speak, in the middle of the movie. Right. That's a bad movie. Right. So I always ask. That's the second thing I think a, a budding person should look for. And the third is... Tell me what the filmmaker's agenda is, what the filmmaker wants me to believe or feel or think about or how he or she wants to change my understanding of a situation. Why did this get made? Don't just tell me the how, the plot, and don't just tell me what other movies it reminds you of or whether Tom Cruise was better in another film than he right. is in this film. Right. Tell me what was going on in the filmmaker's head. And if all that is is that they want us to laugh uproariously for two hours, that's fine. But if it's more about social commentary or something to do with our faith or the way that we look at the world around us, I want to know that. Don't go along the surface. Ask yourself what's underneath. And too few critics do that. Yeah. Well, Lawrence Topman, our guest today, really appreciate you spending time talking to us about movies today. I'm glad to do that. Unfortunately, it's, it's the other way around. It's hard to shut me up once I get started. <laughs> if uh, listeners out there would like to uh, follow your work, what's the best way? I, I know you, uh, Charlotte Observer, absolutely, but are, are there other places uh, well, you want to send them? Uh, CharlotteObserver.com will always fetch me. We have a movie news and reviews page where my stuff runs. Uh, a lot of my stuff just runs under my name on my own blog page and, of course, on the entertainment page as well. So any of those three pages at CharlotteObserver.com would fetch me. And I'll just leave a phone number uh, and an email, if I may, very quickly. 704-358-5232 will ring my desk. And you can reach me even more easily at ltopman, L-T-O-P-P-M-A-N, at charlotteobserver.com. I answer all phone calls and messages, even ones that begin, Dear Idiot. <laughs> well, I get a few of those. <laughs> Again, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your insight on uh, the world of film and uh, a little bit of brief history about Lawrence Topman. I really appreciate that very much. My pleasure, Noel. And uh, again, give that phone number and email address. 704-358-5232 will ring my desk. Uh, alas, my cadre of personal secretaries has been dismissed. It's only me. Um, and my email is ltopman, L-T-O-P-P-M-A-N, at charlotteobserver.com. 
Thanks to everyone who's listening today, spending time talking uh, and listening to us talk about movies. Really appreciate it. And uh, join us next week right here on Gardner Web University Radio, WGWG. You can find us at WGWG.org. Till next time, that's a wrap.